one of the things that we all did together where we wrote manifestations or things that we were trying to bring into our life with this solstice. And I decided, why don't I get kind of wacky with this? Why don't I ask for things that I think are generally impossible and just see what happens? And so of the three things I asked for, one of them was to have a clear, safe, and timely ride to this hostel that was being built so I could see this person again. Because my plan at that point was just to walk up to the top of the gorge and then hitchhike from there. Because in this cultural space I was in, hitchhiking was a completely acceptable and normal means of travel. And so you would get picked up really fast and easy. But I would never have thought to do that because that's one of the things that my entire life, my family was one of those things that, you know, they stick to like, please never hitchhike. So it never even occurred to me. I was like, oh no, that's a dangerous thing I would never do. But now suddenly I'm in this new space and I'm like, mm, I'll just walk up here, climb off from the edge of the scourge, this apocalypse camp and just get in a random person's car and see how far they can get me. And then I'll just walk. So that was the first thing on my list. It was like, well, I will hitchhike if I have to, I would ideally prefer just to ride in the safety of a vehicle the whole way as opposed to part of the way. And I didn't have any you know, specific people in mind. I was like, let's just get kind of wacky with these, with these requests. The second one, I am not fully sure how I worded it, but it was something like to have like a meaningful relationship with this person in some capacity. And then the third one was to work through a really specific lifelong trauma that I'd been having really affect my life in a really negative way. And these are those, that one I thought was unrelated to this situation, but it ended up being really related. And at the end, before I put all these things in the fire, I decided to make up my own goddess, just like at the time I thought I was making this up, but this is not how I think. Um, channeled information works anymore but I was like oh yeah let me just say this random name this like the sound I don't even remember what the sound was but I just attached it to this pretend deity that I suddenly made up in my head and asked them to help me do this and then I put them in the fire jumped over the fire a bunch of times and then went about my weird little day in this camp I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, on an island away from it all, reminded that we've been here before, in dreams. Next, on Euphemet. What dreams may come and from where? Sometimes it seems from somewhere deep inside ourselves, something waiting to be heard, then lived. It's something Sarah lived through herself. So one thing I will preface the story with, and it's something that since its past, it's been several years now, 
that I have come back to as a question for myself, it's something that's come up with other people that I've spoken with, is how useful are premonitions really in the end? Big or small, when the ones you see in the movies, the ones you read about in the books, how useful are they really to you on a practical level, on an emotional level? And what are you supposed to do with that information? Because a lot of what I've realized and even thinking about this experience that I've had, I don't think that they're necessarily good or bad or necessarily helpful or unhelpful. It's just when they come to you, what you decide to do with the information that matters the most. A few years ago, Sarah was in between things and was called to start a new adventure. After some thought, she decided that spending some time abroad, maybe working for a hostel, could be just that. I was looking at all these different opportunities online, and I found one that fit the atmosphere that I was looking for. And it was in a location, this obscure island that I didn't even know existed until the moment that I saw it on this advertisement. And so I wrote up a whole bio about myself, what I had to offer to this community, and essentially forgot about it. I forgot that I did that for six months. And I suddenly then, you know, six months later, I'm going about my life. I've had a bunch of weird ass shit happen. In that time period, my perspective on life had changed. This year was really bizarre for me. And then six months later, I receive an email back from the coordinator of this hostel and we go through a FaceTime interview and they are very pleased by me, which I was surprised about because this was also one of those experiences where I did not feel like I was qualified to have the position that they ended up giving me at this place. And they, they, they seemed to really like me anyway. I fly to this obscure place. When I first arrived, it was at the airport which was a smaller airport more in the south. And so when I flew over it, there was just this big desert expanse. Like if you imagine this, what the Sahara Desert looks like in the movies, just that orange sand. But imagine that just right up to the edge of the island and then it's literally the ocean. It's like the opposite of what you would think that you would see next to that sand because it's so used to it being like a dry, desolate desert, which it is because you can't drink the salt water. It was always springtime there. Every day felt like spring. It wasn't too hot, it wasn't too cold. You had the beach, you could go surfing, you had the mountains, and even in the south you had the desert, essentially. And that was something that I hadn't really expected and how easy for it to be to travel around. So while I'm working here, while I'm having this already whim of a decision to go fly to this place and stay there for a very long period of time, having knowing no one and just showing up, there was suddenly this whole new world of possibility for me that I had access to the second that I touched down and stepped off of the airplane that I, I wouldn't have had had I not made this decision. I will say too, at this time in my life, I had a very different relationship with the world than I do now. 
Then I would say I was much more positively enchanted with the way that I interacted with other people, with spiritual concepts, but I also didn't really have like a structured framework for it in the same way that I do now. So I would say I am much more enchanted with reality now than I was then, but I also have a much more guarded view of the world now than I did then. And looking back, there's, you know, so many things that absolutely could have gone really wrong that didn't. And I don't think that I'm lucky that they didn't. I think I was tapped into something for a reason, but I definitely wouldn't make a lot of the same decisions that I did then during that time. And even then that was, it was a reach for me to, to do something like this, not out of character per se, but just, you know, flying to this place that I hardly knew existed, that's, there's no one there for me to have like a safety network and essentially live in an open floor plan with a bunch of strangers, like immediately and have like no boundaries with strangers, essentially. That whole experience was completely fine. I had absolutely zero problems. It was the best roommate situation ever. I lived with nine people in one room and had absolutely nothing go wrong, which I take to the bank now because holy shit, that is the recipe for so many problems to happen. Um, so it's amazing. And so I think that that place is great. And I, yeah, I met, I made some really great friends in this process. It's, it's, it was a big familial energy. And even when I was working at the host hostel or the main one that I was at, I never felt like I was doing work because I lived so much in that space too, that, you know, like when I'm cleaning something, it's like, oh, I live here. This is, this is my kitchen that I'm cleaning. Or um, I was mainly working in the garden. So I was doing all of this yard maintenance and setting up watering systems and things. And it was, you know, I live in this space. So it didn't feel like work or exploitive. And one of the experiences that I ended up going on was a road trip with some of the people at this hostel for, you know, just one quick overnight road trip. You could rent a car there really cheap. You just had to know how to drive manual, which I do not. So again, I'm really glad I met European people who know how to do that. <laughs> because I, here I am, you know, an American trying to rent a car in uh, a place that I absolutely, I don't know, I would have, it's not, a, not an ideal time to learn how to drive manual. So we're on this trip and it's just fun. You know, I'm essentially having the spring break that I never experienced in high school or college because who really experiences that way anyway? It's just in movies, but I got that, you know? I was driving around and at the beach with friends, having the freedom to do essentially whatever we wanted. And this hostel had a big network with everyone else on the island who's also running hostels. And so you could go stay at these other venues. And on the last night of this road trip, we decided to go to a hostel that was still being built on the remote edge of this island. And there was hardly any electricity out there. There was like barely any people as far as we knew, but we wanted to go see it. And we'd been debating whether or not to go to because it was, 
even for this already remote island, this was remote even in and of itself. And so when we were driving there, all of us were remarking on, wow, this road is insanely dangerous. We could just fall off this cliff like at any point. Uh, so <laughs> there is you know, that level of danger. Um, which is also fun when you're in that uh, when you're in that mindset anyway. It's like, well, you know, this seems to make sense for us, so let's let's keep going. So we show up there, and again, it's like it's still being built. It's essentially a campsite. There's also like a lot of like locals that still live in that area. And there is electricity for like three hours a day, like a couple hours in the morning and a couple hours at night. And that's hard, you know conceptually for I think for a lot of people to understand but when you're in this kind of go with the flow mindset when you're traveling even as someone myself who's pretty laid back this was a whole new level of go with the flow for me and I just I didn't even care like it just I was already covered in dirt what's another day covered in dirt it's also super dusty and I don't need power I don't need any of these things and this this place where it's always springtime And we got to know some of the people there. And I ended up really connecting with someone in this space. And it was a connection that didn't make any sense. Again, the circumstances are bizarre as hell. Like, what are the odds of really connecting with someone in this way on, in a remote space at a campsite with no electricity with like hardly any people in the middle of nowhere. It's already strange. And this is why to this day I don't use Tinder or any of that other stuff because if this is possible, then for me, it's like, I'm not, I don't need, I personally don't think I need to be oversaturated with people in my space like that. So <laughs> But I remember when I walked into the kitchen of this place and we kind of caught eyes at first and they said to me, I can't remember if it was right then or a little bit later, but you know, do I know you? Like, have I met you before? I was like, no, but you look familiar to me too. It was like a real out loud conversation that both of us had. It's like, I definitely know you. And there is no way in hell that we have ever met before. Like just again, circumstantially, it just, it didn't make any sense. And then eventually we started talking and it became one of the first times where I felt like I could truly be myself about who I was and this more weird side of myself, the, the person that is interested in these abstract concepts and magic, the occult, witchcraft, that truly believes that there's so much more to reality than we think is possible. And at first I definitely said all of these things to them to push them away. Cause I was like, this already seems like too cool. Like I'm just gonna try to ruin it by being myself, which again, I think would explain the relationship with myself I had at the time. If I'm like, let me just be the most saturated version of me and then they'll go away. And they didn't, they didn't go away. They actually seemed like more engaged by that, which for some reason genuinely surprised me. We, we spent that, that night just alone underneath the stars in the most like stereotypical um, movie situation. And we just talked, that was it. Like there was just this immediate level of mutual closeness and want to be around each other. But I had to leave the next day. And so that was that. I 
Woke up the next day, nothing happened. It was just this extreme level of closeness and then resolute with both of us of like, literally we'll probably never see you again. Just circumstantially, we can't, you know, neither of us really have like an internet presence, all that type of thing at the time that there's there's just no way. Like I didn't even know like their, their spelling of their last name or anything like that, so. It was sad, but it felt meaningful in the type of situation and experiences that I was having. So I wasn't concerned, I wasn't upset. I didn't have any expectation. And so I get back in the car with my friends and I'm in the front passenger seat. And we're driving and I don't remember how long it is back, but it's it's the complete opposite side of the island and we have to go around all these mountains and through the cities and, and things like that to get back to, to where we were working. And so it must have been at least like two and a half to three hours. Not too long, but not short either. And I was pretty tired because I'd been up all night talking to this person. I must have started to fall asleep. And I'm not a person who sleeps when I travel. I don't sleep on planes. And so this was a circumstance that was weird for me already to sleep in the car. And I'm suddenly somewhere else. I'm me and I am holding a baby. And already weird, but my brain hasn't caught up with this being weird because I will have to emphasize that this whole vision, this whole thing that I experienced happened very fast. So I'm holding a baby and I am for some reason in my second childhood home in my childhood bedroom and I can see the archway of the door into the hallway and in front of me in the doorway is this person that I met on the island and he's there and I look at him and I hand him the baby and I just have this indescribably clear feeling wash over my entire self, my physical self, my emotional self. It was as if someone had just poured soothing honey over every aspect of myself, that everything is gonna be totally fine and it's gonna work out. And if this happens, it's fine. And then I was back in the car. And I remember thinking, that was weird. That was so fucking weird. Like, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And again, that happened so fast. And that's why I can remember the, the imagery so clear in that vision, because it was so simple. There was like these really key elements. It was like this really specifically basic framework movie set that was just like put in my face for some reason. If I had fallen asleep, it was not for long. Everyone is dancing and moving around in the car around me. We're on the road, it's bright as hell. It's just the whole, everything around this is not like a conducive environment for me to fall asleep and have like just a weird dream, you know? It was as though it was, it was just like plugged. As someone took their hand or, or like VR goggles even, and just like smacked that over my, my eyes, not caring what's happening in my literal world.
I tucked that away in my head at the time because what am I to do with this? I don't know. Got a lot of stuff going on. Got to make sure this garden's not dead because I told all these people when I left for three days to water it and they did not. So then that became my priority when I returned back to the hostel. Something else that was really incredible that had happened during this trip for me is I had met a local witch on this island. And whatever you are thinking in your head is for anyone listening, um, is probably wrong like for what, what this what this visually is. This was um, someone who was so open and kind-hearted to me, but the most like large muscular man at the same time uh, who, who lived here. And I feel like when people think witches, you know, they think like, for the most part, our brain wants to go over like the stereotypical the image of a witch. But this was like the complete opposite of that. And this person to this day has a very dear place in my heart. And I am so grateful for the experiences I had with them. He asked me, he was like, hey, you know, you want to come with me and my friends to celebrate San Juan's night and go camping. And I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. I will absolutely do that. Where is it? Like, can you can you show me on Google Maps where this is? And of course they couldn't because it was the side of a highway cliff. And so he used like little landmarks and things and just zoomed in in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was like, it's right there. And I was like, I, I'm gonna trust you. I'm choosing um, to trust you. And when I zoomed out from that, it was circumstantially weirdly close to the hostel in the middle of nowhere being built on the other side of the island also. And I was like, what are the odds that I'm suddenly getting a ride almost all the way back? Back on the beach where Sarah manifested a goddess around a crackling bonfire, then offered her to the flame in order to manifest safe passage, a ride to a hostel in the deep wilds for a chance to reconnect to this man of her dreams, dreams that were about to come true. But as Sarah found out, not without a price. This was just so surreal, again, in and of itself. It looked like an apocalyptic camp. We did do things such as pull those sunshades, like if you go to a little kid's soccer game and all the parents have those little tents up. There, For some reason, someone had thrown one of those over the side of a cliff to where we were at some point, and it was like tattered there. So we used that to makeshift a recreational sun shelter. Uh, and then my entire sleeping materials were a duvet cover that I stole from the hostel and my tiny little box backpack where I like tied a pair of shoes to the side and then a jug of water to the other. And I was like in sandals and then I had a tent and this stolen duvet cover. But it just looks like an apocalyptic camp where we like ended up making a funny looking flag because it the way that the it was slanted down the gulch, you could just see everyone's like little pods and the lights from the fires and then the ocean and the moon. And it was so weird. We spent several days in the space, just like really cut off from talking to other people. Again, like I, I'm in another country, so I don't even have like regular cell service, let alone Wi-Fi. So I'm literally just there. 
and we're talking about, oh, I think there's little rock people like living in these volcanic spaces. And I'm just having these conversations with these people that I just met. And they're like, yeah, it's totally legitimate. I could see little rock gnomes living in there too. And then we went snorkeling, like right at the edge of the gorge. You could swim and there were these huge reefs there that they had just again found themselves. And on the solstice night, we built a fire pit ourselves. And then one of the things that you do culturally is you jump over the fire. And I'm not telling people you should do that. Don't jump over a bonfire. But I did that multiple times and it was really liberating. But that's also probably because I didn't fall into the fire or trip, so. One of the people who was with us just turns and looks at me and goes, do you want us to give you a ride to that camp? I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see what this weird little construction camp is. And I was like, are you seriously offering this to me? Because I hadn't said anything. I wasn't asking anyone. I wasn't expecting anyone to do that. I wasn't in a relationship place with these people even to like ask something kind of that out of the way, you know? So I just never did. I was like, nah, I'll just hitchhike because that's how my brain worked too. I just won't ask anyone for help. So I'll do weird things instead of just saying, hey, by chance, would you be willing to do this? But they offered completely like out of the blue. We were sitting in silence under the thing, under the, the tent that had been thrown over the highway. We we're sitting under there chilling, watching the ocean. And they just turn and ask me if I want to ride. And I was blown away and I was like, well, if you're offering and you want to go, I will accept. End of story. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's settled. This is what we're doing tonight. We're driving down the road on this narrower space and I am behind the passenger seat of the car. So I'm in the back seat and the I'm I'm on the side with the inside of the mountain on this specific stretch of road. And we're talking and I think the person in the front seat was showing me something on their phone. They weren't driving, but they, you know, they were just kind of like leaning back. So I didn't see like the car come around the corner at all. All I heard was like so the our driver yelling and then our car suddenly cranking to the right and slamming on the brakes right in front of just a a shelf of a mountain. And so we did thankfully did not hit it. We didn't end up in a car crash or anything, but we were so close into a head-on collision with literally like a volcanic shelf wall on the side of the road. And that freaked me out because I hadn't been in a situation like that before. We kept going and I didn't think that was significant. Again, I just, I'm talking all of these weird little things that have happened and we end up at the campsite again. And I'm really excited. I get to see this person and my friends, they end up staying for a little while and then they leave. And then it's just me, this person and a couple of other people at the camp. And I have a really great couple of days there. My my plan was once I confirmed that I could go, was just to stay for you know, a couple of nights and then I have to head back and go take care of the garden that again, people are probably not watering even though I asked them to. <laughs> And some of the significant things from that time with this person were I remember sitting on this, this beach and it wasn't a particularly beautiful beach at all. It was actually like a really ugly beach. If anyone's like, the concept of an ugly beach is kind of hilarious because I don't think anyone 
no one's ever like, oh, the beach is so ugly, but this was a really ugly beach, but it was important because it was connected to this place for me. And thinking, wow, like I am the happiest I've ever been. And I ended up telling this person hilariously about that weird vision that I had when I left the first time. I told them about seeing a baby and me handing it to them and them just being, you know, everything just feeling fine. But their first words out of their mouth were something akin to, you know, a couple of years ago, the prospect of being a dad would have really freaked me out, but I'm not in that space anymore. And I was like, oh, you can, you know, you continuously surprise me and are nice to me and are understanding. And somehow I'm continually baffled by that. Again, I have to leave. And when I leave this time, I do have to hitchhike back because they don't have vehicles out there. I say goodbye to him. And I remember this really specifically because he looked at me and was like, oh, I'm not, I'm gonna see you. Don't worry, we don't have to say goodbye. I'm gonna see you again. I was like, uh, I feel like that's not true, but okay. Uh, sure, I believe you in this moment. But when I looked at him though, it was the first time in my life that I can think of where when I looked at someone and they said something to me, I just knew immediately they were just lying through their teeth. Like not necessarily on purpose, not like they were gonna try to hurt me, but just like what they were saying genuinely was not going to happen with like absolute confidence in my head. And I was like, all right, sure. And I left. And I then hitchhiked for the first time in my life alone. The first car that drove by didn't pick me up. The second one was a white van. I did not put my thumb up for that one. Um, and the third one was a German couple and they picked me up and we, they drove me all the way back to one of the main cities. It was totally fine. And then I took a bus the rest of the way and I messaged this person telling them that I was not dead and that I was back where I was supposed to be. And then they told me that they'd see me the next day. I'm not gonna get into all of this part, but that didn't happen. And it was very emotional and sad for me when I left this island because I felt at this point, you know, having spent that accelerated amount of quality time with a person, you, you have a different type of bond and uh, again, there was no expectation of like maintaining any type of relationship because I was leaving. I was literally leaving at like a couple of days after that, like the island. And so I just knew I wouldn't see them again. It's upsetting to me now because I hate that I had to spend the end of that trip essentially not getting answers from someone who I felt like I had been really honest about myself with that level of not necessarily betrayal, I think that's not the right word, but being being misled when I, for the first time, that I had been my like genuine, genuine self with a person. And I left and I'm really thankful for the support of my witch friends that I met on that island because they were, they were just so supportive. I, we were hanging out in the hostel late at night that night and they were just doing everything they could to like make me have fun at the end there. So 
very grateful for them. And they even rode with me on the bus to the airport. Um, I was like, you do not have to do that. And they're like, no, like, I just want to be with you, hang out with you. So then I flew back to where I was living, which was not America at the time. And then a week later, I flew back to America, moved back home. And on this flight, I had gotten a new tarot book and it was like a big tarot textbook. So I was sitting on the aisle seat of a plane for hours reading tarot cards and reading a book about tarot and I had them everywhere and I didn't care like at all like who saw what I was doing I it didn't matter to me you know I wasn't concerned I was just being this weirdo on the plane like I don't even do that now like I had I had so much audacity several years ago that I just don't have anymore and it's great I love that for me back then I wish I could bring that back maybe I'll work on it I kept pulling card combinations that the book at the time were telling me were indicative of pregnancy. And I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's weird. You know, I had that weird vision. Now the cards are saying this really weird thing multiple times to me. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna put this away and uh, not think about it. This is just, you know, like, I know I really believed in this, but like right now, this is just woo-woo hogwash. I don't know what, what they're talking about, what level of authority they could have in my life. And yeah, I put them away and just, you know, I was like, oh God. So <laughs> went home, I had to get back on my feet before I moved out again. And so I did spend a couple of months at my, my parents' house before I ended up moving out again and signing a lease somewhere else. And that became a really weird setting for me to be in at this time because one of the things that I started to notice as time passed was that um, I started having weird back pain and like weird bodily sensations that I have never felt before. Weird things were just happening in general that were abnormal. And when I Googled them, they were all things that were early signs of pregnancy. And I was like, again, I'm not, I'm, I, I do not claim this energy. I, I reject it. I don't know what's happening to me. But again, it's, I think part of me just at that point knew. I was like, oh no. And... <laughs> I had some support from friends at that time when I told them this speculation that I had. And then my body continued to get weirder and weirder. And then I met this bizarre little spirit. And it wasn't like a visceral experience. Like I, you know, they walked up to me and they introduced themselves. It was just, I became aware of this little not little, but like this, this conscious presence around me that wasn't one of my people. It was just around and I started asking it. I was like, oh, are you connected to this potential situation that's going on? And they presented me essentially with like a list of names that I could call them. And I ended up choosing one of those names, which was significant to me for a lot of reasons at the time. And that's what I referred to them as for the time that they were there. And it was weird because objectively now, looking back, you know, I'm having these weird spiritual conversations with a disembodied consciousness that is able to communicate with me, like at the level that I'm at right now. And essentially, I think 
my brain now thinks that they are connected to this literal life form that's in my stomach, in my, not in my stomach, that'd be like if I ate them. Uh, <laughs> um, essentially, you know, just in, in my body, in my abdomen. And, but that consciousness, like when, if that were to be born, wouldn't be able to communicate with me in that exact way. So there was this really interesting, like ideological, strange, I, I, I couldn't make sense of it in my head at the time either. And I will have to say, just again, to preface everything, none of this made me feel like I was a sane person. Like at any point, I felt like I was just by the grace of whatever divine being, just I had this really bizarre experience that was incredible in another place where I skirted all dangerous odds, except for this one, except for the pregnancy one. That one, I got, I got hit. Depending on your perspective, you could say I, I rolled very bad, I got a natural, natural one, or I got a natural 20, doesn't matter. People have like different, different interpretations of that. But for me, I just, I didn't ask for it. And I was confused. I remember really specifically that I had this name and other possible names, if this one didn't for some reason work, that I could name this being. And then also I had dates that I could feasibly go to the clinic and get an abortion. Those were equal thoughts in my head. And then I ended up having this massive blood clot come out of me. So an astrologer at the time that I'd gotten to know over about a year she did a year ahead reading for me and I ended up telling her kind of what had happened because I was curious too if she could go and look at some of the transits in my chart and just see like what the hell is going on in this weird month. And one of the things she ended up telling me though, like friend to friend at that point, was that this idea that I have to bear all of this on my own is this strange idea of a woman's burden that gets put on people that, well, even if I correct myself, like anyone who has a womb, that it's our responsibility entirely to deal with not only the, the literal, physical things that happen, but also like the emotional aspect and the grief and all of those things. Because at the time I wasn't sure if I was gonna even say anything to this person, because given that at this point it had essentially passed and it was just more of what I wanted to potentially maybe, maybe not let them know about this event, this event that had weirdly transpired for me. And she told me that obviously I could do whatever I want, but that she thinks that it would probably be good for me if I did, because in a way, if I didn't tell them, and again, she didn't say this in a way that was pushy at all. She was very empathetic and my own choice, but she felt like that one perspective I needed to think of as it would probably be helpful for this person to know for their own growth on their own journey too, like this thing that they were an equal part of, you know, that had an impact on someone else. If I decided to tell them that it's not me putting a burden on someone else, it's telling them something about their own life's journey. And I was like, that's actually a really incredible perspective. And that really resonated with me. So I ended up messaging this person
we had had some on and off communication since I'd left because again, like we we'd left on like we'd had a meaningful, you know, getting to know each other, whether whatever level we were at, um, even if it wasn't great when we left, like there was still a mutual understanding. So I sent them a message, you know, like, hey, like so, something's, you know, been going on and uh, I would love to talk with you if you have time to do like an audio call later. And so we set up a time to do that. And this so happened to coincide with a really difficult family thing that was going on for me that required me to drive really far, very resentfully. And uh, I didn't want to go to this place. I didn't want to deal with this or see these people. But I had to do that. And then my plan was just to park somewhere, have this phone call, and then go deal with this family thing, which was not an order of events that was really smart uh, in my own planning. <laughs> but I remember driving and down the highway. I remember what song I was listening to. It was called 101. The lyrics were like, I was driving down the 101, which is not the highway I was on, but that was what was playing. And in front of me is a car with a trailer, but they weren't super close to me because I I don't drive really close behind trailers. Just I just learned to not do that. And they were a decent distance, which is why this was so bizarre. And out of the back of the trailer, abruptly. And I'm just in like a crossover. I'm not, I'm not in a big car, I'm not in a little car, I'm in one of those medium ones, alone. And this metal grate flies out of the back of the car, out of the trailer, and then is like up in the air and suddenly barreling down towards my windshield. And there's no one at the left or right of me. I'm in one of the middle lanes on the highway and I have to make a very specific and abrupt and committed decision on what I'm going to do because this thing is gonna come right through my windshield and it looks heavy. Uh, I just really banked it to the right to the point where my, my car was then perpendicular on the highway and wobbling up on its two wheels on both sides. So I'm about to like basically flip this thing. Yeah, and I can see, again, by some absolute luck or power, there were again, no cars around me and all of the cars, I was at the back of a, of a pack of cars down the highway and everyone had time to slam on their brakes and not hit me when, when, when this happened and I, I was just like, all right, let me let me turn around. There's, you know, there's tire marks all over the, the road now. I can see them in my rear view mirror. And I then get off at the next exit and park at a gas station. And then once that, that stun wears off, I then start to, you know, just hyperventilate and not feel <laughs> very good about whatever just happened. That instance and the time before where we almost drove into a side of a volcanic ledge are the only two times I've had something terrifying happen with a car in that way on a highway. And both of these things were right before having difficult interactions with uh, this person or are meaningful in some way. The first one was before I saw them again. And then the second one here was before I had a really difficult phone call with them. And I think, I don't know what that information means, but it does seem odd and peculiar and weirdly synchronous. I had this phone call with them. Their reaction was very calm and neutral. And then I realized the timing of the call during it. Um, after they, you know, they essentially said, they're, I'm glad that you told me, blah, 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 blah. 
And then we had like one sentence of conversation that was remotely normal. <laughs> Just like, how's so-and-so doing? And then the call went dead. And I looked down at the time and I was still able to automatically remember the time zone change because I was so used to it at this point that I was like, oh, they're literally, their Wi-Fi just shut off. Um, and that was the last time I've ever spoken to this person to this day. What I went through though, like for months after that, I just didn't have a framework for. Like I really grieved the loss of like this person. And I thought that that's all that it was. Like I didn't have a framework of reference for what miscarriage is really, other than that's something that's prevalent in my family. Recently, like a couple of days ago, when I was thinking about what I was gonna talk about here today or how I was gonna explain everything, was the setting of the vision. That I was in my second childhood house, in my childhood bedroom, handing this person the baby then, because one of my first psychic memories was being a kid in that house and being in that room when my dad came in and goes, hey, like your mom and I have to tell you something. And I wrote it on a little booklet that I had for school. And I said it to myself immediately too. And my parents remember this still, but I said, oh, they lost the baby. And that's when I found out my mom had miscarried. This is why I ask myself, you know, like what possible point could this premonition have had? Like, why did I, why did I know? Like, is, was it helpful for me to know that this potentially could have happened? And my thoughts now are, it's not that, again, the premonition itself is important. I don't think it's, you know, this future event. Oh, this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. For me, what was important was the, the part where I knew everything was going to be fine and that that was the feeling that washed over me of anything else. Like I could, I didn't need, I didn't need to see any of the other stuff if it was just gonna happen anyway or be some type of weird inevitability. I think the most important part was just that very stereotypical sounding feeling of everything is gonna be fine. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. This feature was edited and scored by John McEdward. Thank you to Sarah for her story. Sarah is a listener of Euphemet, and you can have your story featured too. Reach out at jim at euphemet.com. Thank you to our sponsors, AMC Networks, Shudder, and BetterHelp. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, just visit euphemet.com. And for even more, check out Night Drift. It's our weekly radio broadcast discussing Euphemet and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and the strange. That's Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Check it out at nightdrift.com. This has been Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up. <laughs> 